0: That's the sound of a day starting outright. I hear it every time my new Toro Z-Master 4000 zero-turn starts up. With big-time horsepower, giant Voodoo track tires, turbo-force deck, and comforts like MyRide and USB ports, it's fully loaded to mow all day long while delivering that signature Toro cut. From start to finish, this beast means business. Get your Z-Master 4000 today. Toro. Count on it. The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your
1: hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose, the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode 38. I'm Nick Sarasso.
0: And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose
1: Rivera. And Jose, we got a lot to talk about this week. The Super Bowl, it's finally here. No surprise ever the New England Patriots are in it, like always, right? And... The Los Angeles Rams. But before I, because I definitely want to know who you have, and I know everybody listening wants to know who you have, but before that we have to talk about the AFC and the NFC Conference Championship games. And we're not talking about, obviously, the winner or loss because we know who already won and lost. But I think there's two big stories that stand out. And obviously one is the pass interference play that so Sokwaltz has said that the Saints have been Screwed over, and it cost them the Super Bowl uh, possibility uh, because of the penalty and overtime. So let's start with the penalty. Do you feel like the NFL needs to change something about this, or they should have came out a little bit more with Roger Goodell about this call?
0: Well, you know, honestly, first things first. Isn't it sad that the main thing that we're talking about from Championship Weekend? is possibly two rule changes. Like, we're not talking about the winners. We're not talking about the losers. We're talking about what happened in these games and the controversy really surrounding the aftermath, right? But going back to your question, I mean, there's not much you can do, in my opinion, than, you know, offering to review that call. I mean, honestly, it. I'm so sick and tired of blown calls like this and then everybody just brushing it off like it's no big deal. Like, oh, the refs missed it oh, human error, it happens. That's the point, though. Teams are losing games and not being able to go to the Super Bowl because of someone's human error. And I know everybody hates instant replay. They talk about it all the time in baseball. Oh, it's ruining the game. It's making it longer. But you know what it does, Nick? It gets it right. Nine times out of ten, replay saves, you know, the team that would have gotten screwed over. And I know people are going to cry and complain and say, oh, well, you know what? The Saints defense still let up a bunch of points. Well, you know what? Drew Brees threw a couple of early, early interceptions. And they're right, because the Saints had definitely a lot of chances to win this game. And the Saints didn't exactly play lights out. And they let the Rams get back in this. And you have to give credit to the Rams for battling back and staying strong on defense and for not letting the Saints blow the game wide open. But guess what, Nick? One play defines the game because of that no call on the pass interference, which it blatantly was pass interference. I don't know how you miss it because of that no call. The saints will not go to the super bowl. Who knows what happens if you do call that, that pass interference call. So again, yes, the saints had plenty of chances to win and you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't hang this on the non call there, but this call prevented the saints from winning the game. This is a problem. This is, this should not just be brushed off. I'm actually kind of sick and tired of people brushing it off like it's no big deal. This has to be done. We're not talking about every single penalty penalty having to be reviewed here. We're talking about make a rule that where the refs miss a blatant pass interference call, there is some kind of punishment. There's some kind of, you know, there's some kind of uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is. You know, there's some kind of repercussion because, I mean, again. The Saints are not going to the Super Bowl, and it's because we don't know what would have happened if they would have called pass interference or not.
1: Well no we know what would have happened if they called pass interference. The Saints win the game. I mean, but, I mean you can say that, but I don't want to you know I don't want to just assume because then what if the Rams get,
0: you know, pull off an interception or something. The, the point is the Saints would have been in a better opportunity to win the game, and now you took that opportunity away from them.
1: But here here's what my take is. I hate hearing The Saints lost this game because of a no-call penalty. Or the Saints would begin the Super Bowl because of a no-call penalty. No, that is not true at all. The Saints would be in the Super Bowl if they played better. Because they played horrible after the first quarter. Drew Brees could not throw the football. The Saints could not run the football. But you know who I blame in this game? I don't blame the referees. I don't blame Drew Brees. I blame Sean Payton. And the play calling. That has to be the worst decisions I've ever seen. Because with two minutes left to go in the game, the Rams have two timeouts. And what do the Saints decide to do? They decide to pass the ball on two of the three plays. Both of them would be incomplete. And it left the Rams with a timeout. Let's just play the simple imagine game. Imagine if the Saints ran the ball three times. I'm not talking about a first down. I'm talking about they get stopped at the line, like ran over, because that's what the Saints run game was that entire game. So let's assume that happens. Nothing changes. They run the ball three times. They get completely destroyed. They probably lose two yards in the entire fun of it all. But they kill 40 seconds off the clock. Right? Because that's how much it takes for the Nets to play to time. They'll kill the full 40 seconds. When the Rams used that third timeout, there were 45 seconds left to go on the clock. The Rams threw a 16-yard pass play down the middle of the field. They were still trying to run to the middle of the field for that play. If you take the 40 seconds away, what are we at, 45 seconds? And they're still trying to run to spike the ball? No, the entire time, it completely changes. They don't use the same plays. They don't throw it down the middle. And I highly doubt they even get a spike on the field in time. And it's still, even if they were to pull off that it's then a 51-yard kick, it can be even more trouble because you don't even set the ball up in the right spot because you don't have that time to move the three yards to go to the position you want to go on the field or the side you want to play on on the field. That, that's the key. You didn't run the ball three times. Everybody knows run the ball two minutes left to go, you're either in the lead or you're tied. In that situation where you're in great field goal position, just run the football. They didn't choose to do that. They lost the game because of that. Not because of a penalty. See, like
0: I said before, I don't disagree <clears throat> that the Saints played like crap. But, and this is a but, this is the, a Rams, but. <laughs> the Rams made a mistake. Their corner... Made a mistake. And again, the Saints played like crap. But the Rams corner, the defensive back, committed pass interference. And and you're in a game, and you're the Saints. You've played like crap, but you catch a break. Because the Rams made a mistake. Now, the Rams don't get punished for that mistake. And if they would have, the Saints go. They do whatever. Maybe they kick the field goal. Maybe they get a touchdown. Maybe they don't score anything at all. Maybe they do another dumb play. But you took the opportunity away for the Saints to catch a break. Again, I understand the Saints played like crap. But in that moment, the Rams made a mistake and they didn't pay for it. And that's why, to me, I'm like I'm about maybe like 60-40. 40% of the reason why the Saints lost is because they played like crap. But 60% of the reason why the Saints lost was because the refs did not punish the Rams for a mistake that they committed. The Saints did not catch a break because the refs missed that blatant again and this is not a oh you know it could have gone either way it was a blatant pass interference call
1: i'm i'm higher in my percentages i'm like 97% the saints should have won this game if they just ran the ball three times 1% on the penalty the pass interference you, you can't deny it, nick like isn't that no, what no, happens
0: no. like I if a team makes a mistake the saints are going oh man we caught a break but because the rams weren't punished the Saints can't do that, and you can, you just can't take away an opportunity from a team to win. Let the team blow it themselves like the Saints were doing, right? If you call that pass interference call, maybe the Saints are stupid enough to pass the ball again, right? But let them screw themselves over. At the end of the game, the Saints didn't screw themselves out of a chance to win. They, they may have screwed themselves out of a chance to win the entire game, but in that moment, the refs took the ball away from the Saints. No, again,
1: completely agree, and there's even more to that play. Because that's a helmet-to-helmet. When you watch that play, it's a helmet-to-helmet hit. It's a 15-yard penalty. And it's all about player safety. Except in the final two minutes of an NFC Championship game, player safety takes a little bit of a dive.
0: And when four of the refs have Southern California ties.
1: uh, that's, That's just... You'll always find something like that. Uh, and then all of a sudden we'll be saying Sits of the refs out of sits Were born in the United States <laughs> They have ties to this <laughs> uh, not, uh. You could have called it Helmet to helmet You could have called it pass interference Either one is fine But I don't think We should look at it and say That's the reason the Saints lost However I think we need to look at it and say this is on the refs, this is on the NFL, this is on New York to make a change. And Roger Goodell especially to consider a change. And yeah, it's going to be too little too late for all you Saints fans or anyone that hates the Rams. Um... They need to consider a way to make the last two minutes of penalties possibly reviewable. That doesn't mean every single penalty. That doesn't mean if you know, the Chiefs are lined up off sides defensively. We gotta review that. No, certain plays they should be reviewable. Certain plays like that should be looked at as a, a red flag immediately where we're we're taking this into a video review, a full motion, and seeing it one more time if it's pass interference because I don't want it to be s- slow motion may not work right for that though. So I think that would be another key though. Because if we're looking at slow motion, I'm sure we'll find pass interference on every single play that occurs everywhere. But
0: sure, if, but, but if there's ways at that at you can it at regular
1: speed is it okay.
0: I mean, there's ways that you can do this though to simplify. I know everybody's like, "Oh, what are we going to do? You know, review everything that looks questionable?" No. There's ways that you can do this. You know, there's certain ways that you can look at it. And I understand that people are going to, you know, people are saying, oh, we're going to just change this for Saints fans now. But it really isn't just the Saints fans. The Rams fans, you know, the Rams get affected by this too, Nick. Because, I mean, they're in the Super Bowl. No, but you're already hearing people say, oh, well, they shouldn't be there, right? All of a sudden, now people are discrediting the Rams win when. Really, the Rams did play some good football, and they battled back in that game early, right? The Rams' defense stopped a great running game of the Saints, right? Kamara, I mean, he's one of your favorites. He's one of the best running backs in the game. And a combination of Kamara and Ingram together is a really good run game. The Rams stopped that. They deserve credit. But at the same time, because of a blown call by a bad officiating staff, the Rams don't get credit for beating the Saints. What if the Rams go on to win the Super Bowl? All offseason, all we're going to hear is, well... The Rams shouldn't have been in the Super Bowl in the first place. So, really, we go back to this one play. It causes all this mess, right? One, it causes the team a chance to win the game. And two, it takes away credit from the team that fought really hard to win this game as well, too. So, all around, just a bad job.
1: Well do you think there should be a change of how we how we review penalties or should we go into a final 2 minutes review of it should we be giving uh coaches a challenge flag for just penalties you, you get know I one don't. per not or is this going to be we're just going to shove it under the rug in a few more days we're never going to talk about this again especially if the patriots win there'll be no asterisks considered and it's all forgotten at the end of the day
0: no, I don't think you, I think this needs to be discussed. And again, I'm not saying I want to see every penalty as a reviewable play. But in the final two minutes of a game in the NFC Championship game, you're going to tell me the refs can't, you know, like question themselves here. Why can't you know what, what bothers me is when I'm watching the game on TV and I'm sure you've watched the game on TV, too. And the announcers go to their referee expert and he's like, yeah, the refs blew it. Why can't that guy say something? Why can't, he, why can't there be communication to the ref saying, hey, you blew that? You know what I mean? There has to be a way. There has to. You can't tell me there's no way in real time we can't get this straightened out in some kind of formula or some kind of way. I'm not asking for some elaborate, you know, oh, give the, give the head coaches a challenge peace. But if it's under two minutes in, a, in, a, in the final quarter of a game, you can't tell me you can't just review the call? Because there, there I, should be a
1: way. I think that's even done in like college, where it's like the refs exactly. will get a signal, and it's like, hey, you know what? Let's review if this was a complete pass or an incomplete pass. And it's not even review in the final minute or so. I think it happened. No, and it doesn't there, take there that are ways long. ways to do it. And,
0: I mean, if you go back and watch that play, is it going to take you ten minutes to realize that there was helmet-to-helmet contact on that? Because the hot dog vendor in section three hundred knew it was helmet-to-helmet. So you can't tell me you didn't see it in the first place either. Like to me. It's, it's, it's just complete nonsense sometimes. And I, and I hate – the one thing I hate as a sports fan, and I get it, is that human error is part of the game. No. This is about wins and losses. A game can be affected because of human error. How is that fair? How is that okay? Because someone can't see? Someone makes a snap decision? Go axe Armando Gal- um, hey, um,
1: What
0: what's his, what's his name? The, the
1: pitcher at a Galarraga.
0: Yep. Axe Galarraga. If human error, well, I'm sure he forgives Jim Joyce at this point, but was that fair? Was that fair at all? That history was taken away? Because guess what? That would have been Galarraga's crowning moment. Galarraga never accomplished anything else. He didn't win any Cy Youngs. He didn't go on to be a dominant pitcher. That was his moment, and it was taken away from him because of human error.
1: And for those that don't know who he is... Uh, Just go back, I think about like six or seven years to when he played for the Detroit Tigers. He was one out away from a perfect game. And a flip to him, he stepped on the bat, didn't get called, called safe by Jim Joyce, and he lost his perfect game. Uh, So, I do agree with you on this. There needs to be a change. I think the New York simple change where it's like, you know, you get a message to the refs. Don't make it more than it has to be. I don't agree with the idea of challenge flats for coaches to challenge yeah, that, that's, that's penalties. This gets really cha- – uh, that gets too far. Um, and I don't even think this should be considered all game long. I think there should just be within the two-minute standpoint uh, of a football game uh, because there, there couldn't be that you know pivotal moment. Where it's like, oh, we just called a pass interference on a 40 yard play in the final minute in this game when it's, you know, a four point game. That could be the difference maker between either team winning or losing. Uh, So you want to get these plays right at the end of the day. You want to get the right team in. I think we both agree with that. There's got to be a new change. It doesn't have to be much, it just has to be enough that it's like, this gets called. However, you want to get it. However, gets it right. However, gets the right play called. That's what you need to do at the end result of this one. In the AFC, though, also in the NFC conference championship game, we saw overtime. Overtime in the NFL, when non-playoffs, it's ten minutes. Score a touchdown, you win. If you hit a field goal, the other team uh, has a chance to get the ball at that point they kick a field goal, it's sudden death, assuming we don't hit that 10-minute mark. So, here's the issue that comes to the point. Tom Brady has been in the playoffs three times his games have gone to overtime, the last being at the Super Bowl. The opponent has not gotten the ball in any Of those playoff moments. When it comes to overtime. He scored a touchdown. Game's over. Just like that. Obviously. Yes. Defense matters. And defense has to be on the field. All 60 minutes. And then also in overtime. But. Let me throw this idea by you. 10 minutes of a game. Play out the full 10 minutes. Both teams get two timeouts. And a two minute warning. In the playoffs. If it goes past the 10-minute mark, and we're still tied at the end of that time, we go into a sudden death. Next score wins. No matter what, whether it's field goal or touchdown. Because do you think that it should be this way, where it's a touchdown, ends the game, and the other offense doesn't get to be on the field at all?
0: Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, in the first topic that we talked about, I was completely against the rule, ready to grab my pitchfork and torch to stand up to Roger Goodell. In this scenario, I'm actually going to defend the NFL's rules. I'm actually okay with the potential of the team never seeing the field. It's called play defense, man. I mean, like it's you want the ball back? Tell your defense to not give up six, you know what I mean? Or don't give up a field goal. You know, there's to me, it's like especially because defensive players get paid a crap load of money now, too. You know, you're going to tell me that you can't make a stop, you know, like or maybe or, you know, tip your cap to the other team. But nah, I'm sorry. You have to you have to play defense. I mean, you know, if we just play out the 10 minutes then it doesn't matter what you do. Honestly, I don't feel sympathetic for the Chiefs. You gave up, you know, you gave a touchdown. You gave up the field goal. That's on you. You guys should have made the stop. I, now, I, don't get me don't get me wrong. You, like I've heard people say all week, well, they need to change the rule. They need to change the rule. And I'm saying, you know, I say bull crap. Leave it the way it the way it is. I will say what you just said right now was the first, you know, idea that intrigued me. But I'm still leaning towards let's not change a thing. Defense needs to win. You know, defense needs to make the stop. So I will admit, Nick, you you almost made me sway there. That, that, again, that was that is. That's smart. And I, I, I think it's a brilliant about this. idea. <laughs> it's the best idea I've heard all week. Honestly, from everybody, all these people on TV and stuff, and everybody in the fans in the comment section on Facebook and stuff. But I still think the defense needs to make the stop. You're on the field for a reason. You play defense for a reason. The offense, you know, you can't just rely on the offense to save your ass every single time. Here's the problem that
1: I, I agree with that. I, obviously, the first overtime idea was terrible. Uh, just a field goal first team that scores and kits a field all wins. That doesn't work. The biggest names are the quarterbacks. The guys that pay, pay the most are the quarterbacks. The guys that we create new rules every single year to protect, if your name's not Albert Smith, are the quarterbacks. We want them to be on the field. Do we want an overtime where Patrick Mahomes, the what we can all assume is going to win MVP to not touch the football. Matt Ryan as well. Or flip it. Do we want Tom Brady, the greatest player of all time, to play football? To not have a chance? Because we're at this point where it's a coin toss decided who went to the AFC, who represented the AFC for the Super Bowl. That was, We talked about in the NFC, a penalty decided it. In the AFC, a coin toss decided it. Because I think we all looked at it and say, if the Chiefs had won the coin toss, the Chiefs were going to the Super Bowl. And that's how pretty much everyone has described it after that game. So a coin toss decided one, a penalty decided the other. Which one am I more okay with, though? <laughs> I, I, I'm more okay with a penalty than a coin toss.
0: See, but if you're gonna if you're gonna change the rule just because you want to see people on the field and because of the names, and that's not what it's about. Um, I mean, again, it's about wins and losses, man. You want to win the game, make the stop. I mean, I can't. I really can't stress that enough, you know. Because then, and you know me, I don't like. I don't believe in making things easier. So to me, it's like you're just making it easier for the other team to win. If you know, you want both teams to at least take the field once. I think you're giving, you know, you're giving a pass to the defense at that point. The defense just needs to make a stop. And you know what? If it would have been the other way around, it's the same thing. You know, if Tom Brady never touched the field, boo-hoo. Your defense should have made the stop. Yeah, that, that's you know, that's what it's about. Every team, you know, because then that's how do you separate, you know, the, the the best teams from the good teams? Because you know, some teams have a firepower offense, but they have a really bad defense, and they make the playoffs because of their offense. But you know what? you shouldn't be in the Super Bowl if you can't do both. That's just, that's just how I feel about it. The best team should be in the Super Bowl, and I feel like if you look at the two teams that are in it, the Rams and Patriots both have a great offense, both of them have a pretty solid defense too. All
1: right, so the beard is going with nope, no changes to overtime, uh, but we both kind of agree that there's got to be a little bit of a little bit more relay to get the right calls done with the penalties. All right, let's get to the bid point now. Super Bowl Fifty Three, Patriots Rams. Start off with I want to start off on the Rams side because obviously the it, one thing that has in common here is we're looking at two of the best coaches right now. Uh, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time, and Sean McVay is viewed as the second coming. And if anybody had a cup of coffee with them, they're a head coach in the NFL right now. So. On the Rams' side, though, if they win the Super Bowl, do you think the story is more Sean McVay winning the Super Bowl and fantastic coaching, or we're finally giving it more to the players around him, the supporting cast, and especially Jared Goff? Because it doesn't seem like a lot of the Rams get as much credit as Sean McVay.
0: Yeah, it's weird, right? When you <laughs> You know, I would say... You know, you want to play the game of, like, who's the face of every team. When you go to the Rams, you can argue that the face is Sean McVay. And this is a team that has, you know, MVP candidate Todd Gurley or a good young quarterback in Jared Goff or even some defensive monsters like Aaron Donald, right? But Sean McVay gets all the credit. To me, I think you're right. I think this is about Sean McVay more than it is about the Rams, right? Because, and to me, it's just kind of the way it's set up. You know, Goff is in his, what, this is his third year in the NFL?
1: And he's still a first pitch.
0: Exactly. He's a first-round pick, but we're not talking about Jared Goff. Why? Because he had that unsuccessful year under Jeff Fisher, right? We all call Jeff Fisher the QB killer. So I feel like Jared Goff is still tainted from that first year, really, that he had with Jeff Fisher. And, you know, ever since Sean McVay took over, all of a sudden Jared Goff is on another level. So Todd Gurley, he's a monster in himself. But remember, the Rams made a lot of moves this offseason to sure up their defense, they made, you know, they got Akil Talib, you know, they got, you know, Marcus Peters. They they got a lot of guys to shore up their defensive team, and I feel like that was more of Sean McVay going out and getting the guys that he wants. Right? Sean McVay wanted to make sure the Rams were going to go to a Super Bowl, that they were going to compete for a Super Bowl. So I think the reason why Sean McVay gets so much credit is because you can argue that Sean McVay has really built this team into the champion that they are. And, you know, his story is very similar to John Gruden's. John Gruden is a very popular head coach, whether he's destroying the Oakland Raiders or not. He's still very popular and whatnot. And, you know, Sean McVay got his start on the Buccaneers as a coach for John Gruden. So, honestly, there's a lot of ties for Sean McVay to a popular coach. Again, even though he's ruining Oakland right now, he still is a popular guy. He's a, you know, he's a popular image. So, Sean McVay is kind of benefiting from From that you know celebrity coach lifestyle and you know he's a fun guy to listen to too i mean like this guy came out in a press conference and recited every play from what a couple weeks ago or something like that i mean the guy's funny to watch and this guy has his own spotter he has a guy behind him pulling him out of the way from referees are running nick i want to be important enough one day to have somebody behind me and grab me and move out me out the way of people or oncoming traffic or something i want to be that important but I think the reason why so much more attention is being paid to Sean McVay is one, because of his age, because, you know, you still have guys like Tom Brady out there who are still playing. And then all of a sudden you have Sean McVay, who looks like he's 22, you know, going out there and bringing a team to the Super Bowl in what, his second year, his second full year. And, And honestly, I think it's because Sean McVay really built this roster the way he wanted it to. And I think it's very similar to Bill Belichick, how when Bill Belichick came into the door 19 years ago... Bill Belichick, you know, put his foot down. It was like, you either do things my way or you get out of here. I feel like Sean McVay is that same style, just not as mean as Bill Belichick. But I think Sean McVay is that same thing where it's like, this is how we're going to do things. This is my formula. And we are got to the Super Bowl because of how I built this team in the offseason.
1: Unless I think golf brings a last-minute drive to this game. We're not talking about Jared Goff. We're not talking about the the Rams players. There has to be an aspect where it's like, it's not Sean McVay in order for us to not talk about him. Like Aaron Donald or a defensive player would have to play like Von Miller did when the Broncos played the Panthers. Or, or the last two-minute drive to win the game. That's the only way we're not going to be talking about Sean McVay if the Rams win the Super Bowl. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think when you put a high cap on your team, when you add into the fact that you are still having a quarterback in a rookie contract, you take full advantage of it, you sign everybody as best as you can, when you have what's most likely going to be uh, Todd Gurley, who's either going to be considered the Offensive Player of the Year because it's never really given to a quarterback anymore. The quarterbacks are only just given the MVP. And you have the Defensive Player of the Year. And you have a great defense along with a stellar offense when you bring in guys like Brandon Cooks coming from the Patriots. You bring in all these different people that excel at their positions. Everyone had the Rams finishing First in the NFC, and the way they started off this season was really not really too much of a shocker because of how well everyone expected the Rams to do. I, as much as I agree, Sean McVay is a phenomenal head coach and a very gifted offensive mind. I don't agree that every body that like works under him barely should be considered for a head coaching job in the NFL. And I don't agree that there's got to be a certain reason why he should be talked about at the end of this game. He's going to be if the Rams win. But unless he outcoaches Bill Belichick, I don't think that we should always be considering this, the Sean McVay show.
0: Well, I guess my question is, too, is that is it wrong if we're paying more attention to Sean McVay?
1: Yeah, he's not on the field.
0: But, I mean, well, really, though? Because I feel like NFL head coaches, you know, when we talk about, you know, legendary coaches, I feel like NFL coaches get, you know, more of a boost than, like, let's say, MLB manager or NBA head coach sometimes. Because I feel like the NFL coaches, it's on the field with his guys and more involved sometimes. Because I feel like in the NFL, you can argue that the coach is the most involved on the field, in terms of the playing field, I feel like NFL coaches get that extra boost when we talk about the greatest coaches of all time. Like, To me, we always talk about the coach more in the NFL than you do in NBA or MLB.
1: I think that's also because we equate more needing to be known for the uh, the job. Like, you can say, well, there's... MLB coach did this wrong, he shouldn't have put this relief pitcher in, or he should have based on the statistics, or or anything along this, because it's a nerd moment that you can run it through uh, through a system. In the NBA, it doesn't matter who's coaching LeBron's James team, LeBron most likely isn't going to like him, and he's still going to get you to the finals. And I think at the end of the day, if you have, like, you know, if you're coaching the Warriors, you and I can coach the Warriors to success. Uh... Basically, it would be just go out there and be you guys. Um, so I think there's a little bit more to it. Obviously, you can take all the best players in the NFL, and you still might not get there. But I think there's more to it on the fact that, like, when we when you're talking about the Super Bowl on the Patriots side, who are we talking about this week? We're not talking about Gronkowski. We're not talking about Julian Edelman. We're Barely talking about Bill Belichick, we're talking about the quarterback, Tom Brady. Now this is his ninth Super Bowl, where he's been there in the Super Bowl more than any other team outside of the Patriots, who have been there just twice more without him. That's who we're talking about. How his stats are just insane when it comes to the playoffs. How he's been there double times more than Joe Montana. So I don't agree with the, the concept of this being like the Sean McVay because like Bill Belichick we're not talking about as much. We've already crowned him the greatest coach of all time. So I, I don't think there's – again, and the same goes for Tom Brady. There's, there's not a knock on the resume if they lose this game. There's only even more love to them if they win this game. All right, so who's the difference maker in this game for you on both sides? So for the Patriots, I'm going to roll with the same
0: guy who I had last week in the AFC Championship game, and it's Sonny Michel. Um, and again, I'll give you the same reasons because I truly believe this is the first time in a while that the the Patriots have had a really, really good running game. Um, you can argue a couple of years ago when they beat the Falcons, you know, they had uh, Blount and, uh, and Lewis and, and, and White, but honestly, having Sony Michelle back there makes such a big difference. It makes the the Patriots a two dimensional team. They're not just a passing team. I mean, how many years in a row that we think, oh, you know, well Brady's just just going to drop one to Edelman or Amendola, or he's just going to pass it to Gronk. Especially when he loses a receiver like Amendola, who is not a top wide receiver, but when he's paired up when he's paired up with Tom Brady, all of a sudden Amendola is a, a better receiver. But what it does is it just gives flexibility to the Patriots' offense, right? And as if a team with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, the smart to Bill Belichick, as if they needed flexibility, as if they needed an advantage, you give them a good running back in Sonny Michel. And the thing is, though, is that Sonny Michel is going to be around for a while. You know, this is not a guy that's going to be a one-year player. You know, this guy is a young, talented running back who I believe, honestly, and, and you might not agree with this, but I feel like having Michelle on the Patriots extends Brady's career a little bit more. Because, honestly, when I think of the Patriots, I think Brady, you know, with the Patriots' offensive attack, it's always going to be Brady in the passing game. Brady passing to this, Brady passing that. But when you have a good running game, too, you know, ask Drew Brees. Drew Brees doesn't have to throw the ball 50 times in a game anymore because he has Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram behind him. Or even if it's just Kamara, you know, Brady's going to benefit from having a good running back behind him for X amount of years, however long Brady wants to keep playing. He doesn't have to chuck the ball around 40, 45 times anymore. You know, this is going to save Brady's career, in my opinion, too. I think Michelle is a definite X factor, especially against a strong Rams defense that stops to run. This Rams defense stopped Alvin Kamara. It start Mark Ingram. Can they do that to Sonny Michelle? So if Sonny Michelle can get a good running game going, I think that's going to put a chink in the armor for the Rams
1: defense. So I'm going to take one of the guys that the Patriots are targeting a ton. On third down, that's Rob Gronkowski. Look, not an amazing game. Sits reception, 79 yards. 11 targets, though. He led the team in. The big third down catch. The big plays. Now, Tom Brady's only looking at like two guys when it comes to those situations. Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski. Both guys need to be on because he got to move the chains often. And I'm going Rob Gronkowski on that. I think Tom Brady's going to target the big guy. I think when you're in the red zone, you're looking for the bigger guy to go for consistently. And I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for Edelman when he's going on a tougher cornerback, like a team to leave. So it's going to result in a little bit of who's not being covered by him and trying to go to the other one a little bit more but I think you're going to Toronto more often in this game when it comes to the Super Bowl, when it comes to that veteran presence and the bigger guy down the field. So I'm going Gronkowski for a big game in order for the Patriots to win this football game on the Rams side, outside of Sean McVay. (laughs) Who's the difference maker in this one?
0: Well, you mentioned it before. I think it's Jared Goff. I mean... You know, it's easy to hand the ball back to Todd Gurley and say, hey, get me this X amount of yards or whatever. But to me, the biggest thing is when you're the opposing QB is to keep your composure when you're going against Tom Brady. Um, I honestly think that's a harder thing to – you know, it's it's harder to – it's easier said than done to me is the phrase. Because, you know, especially for a young guy like Jared Goff, first time in the Super Bowl, first-round pick, high expectations – Guess what? The other guy across the sidelines, been there, done that. He's been there nine times. He, or this is his ninth time. He's been there eighth times. He's won five of them, you know? So, so for Jared Goff, the experience is not on his side. Can Jared Goff turn off all the extra noise of young QB versus old QB, you know, future versus the goat. Can Jared Goff dethrone this guy? Cause guess what? That doesn't do you any good. And I think, you know, one reason why the Eagles were able to play really good last year, too, is because Nick Foles just went out there and played relaxed and played like he had nothing le- nothing to lose out there. For Jared Goff, there's going to be more noise because of he was the first overall pick. Guess what? Brady was chosen in, what, round six, round 12 or whatever. He's won five Super Bowls. Jared Goff, what do you got? You're supposed to be better than him. You were picked first overall. So, to me, Jared Goff has to have a good game. He has to shut down, shut out all the extra noise, keep his composure and play like Jared Goff plays. Um, And again, because to me, when you're one-dimensional, you're not going to be a winning team. So if Todd Gurley is getting all these carries and he has to constantly carry the offense, to me, that's not a successful game plan uh, by the Rams. The Rams have some good receivers. They have some good wide receivers. Jared Goff can throw the football. I think Jared Goff is a good quarterback. It's like what you said. What happens if it's two minutes left on the clock and Jared Goff has to pass it through the air? Can he do it? So to me, the X factor is Jared Goff, and can he keep his composure in arguably
1: the biggest game of his career? I'm going to go on the defensive side, Aaron Donald. Uh, Donald hasn't really played you know, with impressive stats, uh, just two tackles in both the Saints and Cowboys games in these playoffs. No sacks in them. But the key is, I don't think, sacking Tom Brady. It's not going to be easy to bring him to the ground. It's not going to be easy to sack him. But you got to pressure him. That's been the key for the Giants when you look at the past when they were able to beat the Patriots in Super Bowl. It's how much pressure can you put on Tom Brady? How much can you make his day more hectic? Because if you let, you're giving Tom Brady time, if you're giving him just all, whatever he wants to do, it's going to be a long day for the defense no matter what. And you're just going to see tons of touchdowns, tons of yards, and the Patriots running over whatever they want to do for the entire game. But if you can pressure them, you can knock them down, you can bring them to the down, ground, you don't have to sack them on every play. You just have to consistently make your presence felt. And I think that can be key. So it's really going to be on Aaron Donald and this entire defensive line to just consistently put... A lot of pressure on Tom Brady. Is there any final thoughts on the Super Bowl before you give out your winner in this game? You know,
0: I I just think it's a shame. I feel like there's not a lot of hype around the Super Bowl, especially with the you know the bullcrap pass interference call. You know, I I really get the feeling that not a lot of people are giving the Rams enough credit because you know they, they a lot of people are already saying oh they're not supposed to be there. The Saints should be there and. You know, yes, I feel like the, I'm one of those people that feel like the Saints got cheated. But the Rams have had a fantastic year, Nick. I mean, you and I both know this. We've done how many podcasts talking about how the Rams could be a favorite in the NFC, how they could be in the Super Bowl. The Rams are a very, very good team. And, you know, we're talking about a, a great defense, in my opinion, that features a guy like you said, Aaron Donald. What does it mean if Tom Brady goes out there at age 41 and – even if he manhandles this defense, but if he beats this defense, I mean, that to, I mean, to me, you and I both agreed on other podcasts that we've done, other radio shows that we've done, that Tom Brady is the GOAT. But can Tom Brady keep cementing his legacy? You know, I'm pretty excited, you know, for this Super Bowl because of what it can represent. You know, Tom Brady really putting the finishing touches on the GOAT conversation because if he takes down a great defense like the Rams, then Tom Brady for sure. Is to go, but on the opposite side, you have the young rising stars like Jared Goff and Todd Gurley. Can they make this their NFL? Right to me, the Rams have always, you know, the Rams have been the most talked about team, even though they fell off a little bit, and the Saints passed them for the best record. So to me, it's the young generation of Sean McVay, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley taking on, you know, like the evil empire, you know, the old school guys of Belichick and Brady. Um, I think it's going to be an exciting matchup. And I think just that new school versus old school mentality, it should be a lot of fun, you know, fun to watch, you know, can Belichick, you know, is it time for Belichick and Brady to pass the baton off to these new guys like Mave and Goff, or can Brady and Belichick say, Hey, nope, it's not your time yet. So I think it's going to be a lot more interesting than people think. I don't think it's getting a lot of love because of the fact of the, um, the controversy surrounding the NFC championship game.
1: So, My final thought before I'm going to give my winner as well is, you know, on the Tom Brady part, of course I agree he's the GOAT. I I think he's the greatest player of all time when you consider it to be football. Um, People, enjoy it at the end of the day. When are we ever going to see this again? Never. We're never going to see someone put up the numbers he's putting up in the playoffs consistently. We're never going to see someone be in the Super Bowl this many times. Whether you want to or not. You're never going to see these records broken. You're never going to see a Tom Brady again. Because he is the greatest. Enjoy it. You're, you're at this point where it's you just should be amazed at what this man can do and how well he's taking care of his body and how he's kept his longevity and how he's changed the NFL in how quarterbacks where 40 is the new 30. where are no longer retiring in the middle or late 30s. It should be considered acceptable. Where we have guys going longer in their careers because of Tom Brady. Viennaville has changed so many times, and it's because of Tom Brady. Don't hate on him because it's just Tom Brady, and they always win. The, it, this guy should be embraced by everyone, and I always will pick. Le- I will pick legacy first, and future second when it comes to what I root for. And by far, I'm picking legacy in this one. If if Jared Dolph win and Sean McVay win, that's future, because it's the future of the NFL. When you consider a quarterback that's in his third year and a first round pick, and a head coach that was one of the youngest ever to be a head coach, and he's in his and uh, he's won a Super Bowl in his second year, possibly. But you take, you take legacy. This is the greatest coach of all time, and it's easily the greatest coach of all time, and no coach will be like Bill Belichick. This is the greatest player of all time. And it's just incredible how they've been able to stay together this long. It's incredible how they've made it work. And there should just be nothing but enjoyment watching all of this. The same way anyone that grew up watching Joe Montana just probably enjoyed watching Joe Montana Changed a quarterback position where it was more of a throwing game than a running game at times. This is the same way. It's it's incredible what he's done. This is his ninth Super Bowl. And no one's even close to him. And it's no wonder we talk about winning one Super Bowl matters. Because if that was the case, we would talk about Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers far more into the conversation. But we don't do that anymore, because Tom Brady has made it a whole nother damn. Jose, the betters want to know, who do you have winning? Ah, ah. <laughs> now let's give a score to this one.
0: Uh, let's see. You know, I've really been sitting on it because, like, it is one of those things where it's like you can really see either team pulling off the victory. So it's under a lot of careful consideration. However, I've learned not to doubt the Patriots. Um, You know, originally, I did say Patriots and Saints for the Super Bowl. And technically, I should be right. It should be Patriots and Saints. But since it's Patriots and Rams, I'm still going to roll with the Patriots. I think Tom Brady gets it done for his sixth Super Bowl. I think it's going to be closer than you think. I think both defenses are really going to show up in this game. I could see them winning by a field goal. So I'm going to say... 2017 as the final score.
1: So, a low scoring game you're looking at.
0: Yep, yep. I think both defenses are really going to take a charge in this one, even though I praised Sonny Michelle and Jared Goff. I still think the defenses are going to step up because, you know what, obviously the Rams' defense is very good. We all know that. But also, I feel like the New England Patriots' defense has been very underappreciated throughout the postseason so far. You know, they were a quote unquote weakness coming into the playoffs, but they've really stood their ground in some of these games as well.
1: So I'm going to give it a little bit higher of a scoring game. I'm going to say 31-27. to 27. Uh, Pretty much every New England Patriots Super Bowl has been decided within like 6 points. I think win or loss. So I think it's still going to be close at the end of the day. I'm not expecting a blowout here. But I'm, I'm going with the New England Patriots. I'm with you. I, I will be able to sleep better at night knowing I'm picking with Tom Brady than picking against Tom Brady. You take the greatest coach of all time. You take the greatest quarterback of all time. You take the guys that have been there before. You know, the Rams, they weren't really great in uh, the Saints game. They had a great, good finish, but they just as well could have been out of that game. Uh, you know, as much as you want to hit that high horse, and it, there's just way too many question marks on that to begin with. And for the Patriots, you know, they're, they're just going to come with a better game plan. They created five new plays that they used in the Chiefs game that morning. That's the Patriots for you. They 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 constantly are creating new game plans. They constantly are creating new plays at the last minute. They're too challenging, I think, to prepare for at times, and it's. You know, it's a different atmosphere. I think the Rams are going to have home field advantage, and I think that could be pretty helpful when you consider how bad the Patriots have been as a road team this season. But at the end of the day, I mean, we can the Patriots are just always there, always consistent, and I'm going to take the consistent team that just outplays everybody else. So I'm going to know go to the Patriots 31-27 to win the Super Bowl. Uh certainly I cannot wait for the Super Bowl. Uh it should be real exciting. Uh I don't think it's a surprise. I'm gonna to say Tom is your MVP, correct? That is correct. Alright, so Tom Brady's both of our MVPs. We both have the Patriots wedding. We haven't been that great when we go together on our pits. But we did get the Patriots right on that one. So that that that's the one that we gotta be right on again. Uh, With that, I want to jump into the NBA, though, Uh, because today was a big conversation about Anthony Davis and him wanting to request a trade and also saying that he was not going to re-sign a Matt's offer with the Pelicans, and he's basically in control of this entire thing at this point, but, Jose, your thoughts when you first heard about this? My thoughts was,
0: first of all, shame on the New Orleans Pelicans. I mean... This team has botched in every way possible. I mean, give Anthony Davis credit. He's been with them for the past couple of years now. Things have not gone the right way. And it's no one's fault but the Pelicans. This is the same team that had to eventually trade away Chris Paul years ago because of a similar situation. The Hornets weren't going anywhere when they were the New Orleans Hornets. Chris Paul wanted out. They tried to trade him to the Lakers. It got blocked. You know the rest of it. But they lost Chris Paul. Years later, they tra- they draft Anthony Davis, star-studded forward, one of the better players in the game when he's healthy, and they botched this too. This guy wants out of New Orleans. But what really bothers me, Nick, is that they asked DeMarcus Cousins about his time with the Pelicans, and DeMarcus Cousins says that he loved it, and that him and Anthony Davis loved playing together, and that they talked about dumb re-signing with New Orleans, and basically saying all of the great things that they could accomplish. Can you imagine, Nick? Can you imagine if Cousins would have re-signed with the Pelicans and Davis signs his extension? We're talking about two of the best big men in the NBA right now being on the same team. And we saw what they could do together. They were beating teams left and right. They beat the Warriors in the regular season too when Cousins and Davis was healthy. What did the Pelicans do? They let Cousins walk away. For nothing, basically. Let him walk away in free agency. They didn't want to sign him because they were afraid of his attitude problems. So what message are you sending to Anthony Davis? You're basically telling Anthony Davis, hey, you know, we don't want to sign other players. We only want to spend our money on you. And I actually, I usually don't take the player's side in these kind of scenarios. But Anthony Davis didn't say he hated New Orleans. Didn't say he hated the city. He basically said, hey, you guys haven't proven that we're about winning. You let a guy like Demarcus Cousins walk away for $5 million to sign with Golden State. You didn't even make an effort to resign him, even after he tore his Achilles for you. I mean, Anthony Davis is basically saying, I want to win. And I don't blame somebody when they're stuck on a team that's going nowhere and they say they want to win. So, terrible job. Terrible, terrible job by the New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans of not making your franchise player happy. You know, we've seen it, we've seen this with LeBron James. The Cavaliers, when they don't help out LeBron James, what does LeBron do? He leaves. Because why should you stay and carry a team on your back if they're not going to help you out? So terrible job by the Pelicans.
1: So, really it looks like a few teams are emerging on this. And, I mean, all of... This isn't really too much of a shot on this one uh Anthony Davis is highly concerned that he wants to go to one team, which is the Lakers. However, we've heard this same story before with Paul George, and then he got sent to the Thunder, and then he signs a deal with the Thunder with that in mind though, if you're considering this. Do you see Anthony Davis becoming a Laker in the future or going somewhere else? Let's just start with that as a simple question. Or where would you put it as percentage-wise? I I mean, I think
0: Anthony Davis, 80% 80 chance he becomes a Laker. I know you were expecting higher, but...
1: I was actually going to go lower on you. Lower, I, really? I, okay. I, I, I was going to say, do you at least give it 50%, but if you're giving it 80%, um, this works well in my next question, then. If you're the Knicks, if you're the Celtics, do you consider, you know, I don't want to use the word selling the farm, but making a bid trade for you know, Anthony on it, Davis? But-
0: you could even throw the Lakers into this mix because well, yeah. So
1: um, uh, you I'll include the Lakers in that, but the Lakers should be already looking at doing this. But yes. should other teams like the Knits or Celtics? So for other teams, I would say no, because if
0: you're not the Lakers, Anthony Davis might want to wait to free agency to see where he can you know where he can go. If you're in the Knicks, you should not even try this. I am sorry. What are you? Because if you're in the Knicks and you trade the farm and you get Anthony Davis, I'm sorry, are, are you going to jump to first place in, in the Eastern Conference? There's no way you're going to prove to Anthony Davis that we're going to be a good team going forward. There's no way. There's no way. There's nothing you can tell me. that Now, I'm not saying the Knicks can't get him. But there's no way to me the Knicks are going to convince him to sign an extension with them come free agency other than Boston, or even Golden State if Kevin Durant and Demarcus Cousins walk, or even the Lakers in the future. There's better options than the Knicks for Anthony Davis, so why would you trade the far from him if you can... If, if I'm the Knicks, I wait for free agency and try to convince him, and he'll be like, hey, come on over. We got young guys. See if you can you know, play with these guys, get together, and move forward. If I'm the Celtics, I think maybe you do go for it. Only because... You don't know what's going on with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving says, I want to stay. I don't believe him, Nick. I don't think Kyrie Irving is staying in Boston. So if I'm the Celtics, maybe, yeah, maybe you trade the farm. You bring in Anthony Davis, and you convince him to stay in Boston instead of signing with the Lakers. Because I think if he doesn't go to the Lakers, the only other team that can convince him to sign would be the Celtics, in my opinion.
1: But the Celtics, I don't think they're going to sign a long term deal with Anthony Davis on top of that. I mean if you're the Knicks though. No, I don't I but I don't think Anthony Davis is
0: signing an extension with anybody. I think and this is the risk you're taking because I think even if Anthony Davis gets traded, I still think Anthony Davis waits to the offseason to hear what other teams have to offer. Because I also think it would be silly if Anthony Davis signs an if Anthony Davis gets traded to the Lakers, Celtics, whatever team it is, I think it's silly if he signs an extension. Play the rest of the year wherever you go, and when you go to the offseason, be like, hey, why do you want to sign me? What's there? Can we win? Because the last thing Anthony Davis needs is to be locked into a contract and get fooled by a team, let's say like the Knicks, and then end up in the same situation that he was in New Orleans. So if I'm Anthony Davis, if he gets traded, if he gets traded, I'm not signing an extension. I'm waiting to free agency.
1: Again, the free agency would come – at the earliest uh, 27 from between 2020 and 2021. So it would basically be he'd still be on New Orleans for another year after this. Now, I don't think the Pelicans need to focus on making a trade within the next seven to ten days to the trade deadline on February 7th or February 8th because, I mean, it's tough to get a trade done in that span. And unless you're getting a deal you can't say no to. I think it's easier to try and trade Anthony Davis when you get closer to the offseason, especially when you get closer to the draft. Because if you're the Pelicans, you should be looking to trade Anthony Davis. If he's coming out and saying, I'm not resigning a match contract with you, you cannot just let Anthony Davis walk in a year and a half from now and say, bye Take care. It was great having you. No, you have to trade him. You have to trade him at some point, and there's going to be more pressure on you to trade him as you get close to that trade deadline. It's going to be a lot easier to trade him for the draft or in the beginning of the off season, because if you're looking at it, maybe the Knicks have the most that they can offer. Him. If the Knicks are including a trade that includes a pit that could be R.J. Barrett, and they include Tim Hardaway, and they include, like, Frank nittler they're opening up salary cap that they can sign Porzingis and Anthony Davis and maybe another player. Or they can do this a certain way that they can open up enough salary cap to try and sign three players. Now, is that going to be the right move for them? Most likely, if they're getting, you know, two of the top big men. We saw what the Pelicans could do with that. If you're trading with the Lakers, you know, I, I think the Lakers are, the trade begins with like Lonzo, Kuzman, uh, and it was like a first round pick and another piece still. And I think it's Zubat. So it's like you're already looking at like a lot of players you are giving up, but you're getting Anthony Davis at the end of the day. On top of that, the Lakers would have like not many players committed to the team after that beyond this season. So it opens up a lot of the avenues that the Lakers could go. And already having LeBron James and Anthony Davis would be a great start. But I, I think if your teams that you should try and consider this. But I think if you're a team like the Knits, you have to make sure he can resign. Because if you're going to give everything up for him to go to the Lakers, you, you've you've blown everything up at that point. You're, you're out of luck because you're, in, in a sense, screwed. But if you're the Lakers, if you can get him a year early, get him a year early. If you can get him now, get him now. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't see him in traded in the next 10 days, but I think you're seeing a definitely trade within this year. Between this January to next January. He's got to get traded at this point. Is there a team you'd like to see go after him though? Or what kind of offer would you put out there? You know, if there's a team, or if you or flip that, if you're the Pelicans, what should you be looking to get? Let's put it that way first.
0: I think if you're the Pelicans, you're either looking for two to three players that are currently at an NBA level right now, including one that's like a a borderline soup so Honestly, I can only explain it in terms of the Lakers players. If if, if that's funny, you know, it, it, like if the Lakers are trading for Anthony Davis, Lonzo should probably be involved in the deal. Maybe either Kuzma and Ingram, not both, but one or the other. Um, so that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. It has to be that type of deal. If I'm the Pelicans, if I have to move Anthony Davis, but also especially because you only have basically one year left of Anthony Davis, the Pelicans don't have much leverage here. If they wait too long, if they run out of time. They're not going to be able to get the package they want. So if I'm the, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm looking for NBA ready players or some mid-level NBA players and maybe a high draft pick. Like you said, if the Nets end up with the number two pick in the draft, through the lottery, if you're the Pelicans, that could definitely work for you too.
1: Do you see him then trade in the next 10 days
0: or honestly, 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 no. Um, I think the Pelicans are still really frustrated, and they want the you heard them, they want the NBA to investigate tampering. Um, I think this is one of those situations where I think the Pelicans might actually wait for the season to wait out, and they're probably going to try and talk to him again and try and convince him to stay. Um, so I, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, I think this is going to play out into the offseason, and if he gets traded, it will be during the offseason.
1: You have more to evaluate when you get to the draft, at least. Basically. I think that's what it really is. I mean, if you, you look at and say, the Knits have the number one pick, you're trying to trade more with the Knits to try and get Zion Williams. Or if the Knits have the number two, but if the Knits are all the way out there at five for some reason, let's hope not, Uh no. maybe you got to go a different route than if you're just getting to hope for the best because if you're trading... If you're trading Anthony Davis right now to the Knits... And getting their pit for it. Anthony Davis is going to win the NIT A bunch of games. Even if you take a decent amount of that roster off. They're going to improve. They're going to win games. And you're going to move down. That list as far as the number one pit goes. Or number two. Or number three. There's only one game separates a few of them. So you're better off waiting till the very end. If you're going to try and trade for a pit. But, I mean, if if you can get a lot, or if you can get an offer where you just can't reject, certainly the Lakers could make that type of offer. I think even the Knits could make that type of offer. I think the Celtics could make that type of offer. That a deal can certainly get done. I don't know if it's going to get done at the end of the day, but this is this is a huge story. And it's going to be the biggest thing we're talking about for a while. And I, I think when it comes to the NBA... Yeah, you know, we don't care about the regular season that much. You know, it's it's great and at times. We can't wait for the playoffs. But if there's one thing that like we cannot wait for, and this just proves it even further, it's the off season. The NBA off season is just so much, uh, so much more entertaining, and especially when you compare it to the MLB right now. Bryce Harper and Manny Machado still haven't signed. In the NBA, how quick did LeBron James sign? Paul George sign? Kevin Durant sign? How, when we look at how the past, when it comes to the NBA and their players signing, it it comes an immediate factor. We're in the end of January. Pitchers and catchers are starting to report soon, and Machado and Harper still don't have a team. Two of the best players. Pacers played the Warriors. Uh tonight Warriors won one thirty two to one hundred. Uh Vinto is out for the season. Uh, he did not play tonight. He got injured a few we- uh last week. Uh this is real unfortunate for the Pacers. Especially when you you check how good the team's been this season when you go to the stand and it's just they're in third. Right now, 32 wins, 17 losses. They're ahead of the 76ers. They're ahead of the Boston Celtics. They're 32-17, puts them with the third-best record if they were in the Western Conference. Uh, this is real unfortunate about Victor Holodipo. Um And it's basically, I, I think we'll both agree, it puts the Pacers at a complete standstill when it comes to the trade deadline. Because now they don't really have an incentive to go for it with their best player out.
0: Yeah, I think, honestly, it's a shame. I think the Pacers are still going to make the playoffs because of the weak Eastern Conference um, and because they still are a good team. You know, they still have some good talent. They'll make the playoffs, but I think their, you know, their hopes at going deep into the playoffs is damaged because is not there. The one thing I don't want to see, though, from the Pacers is, like you said, I kind of don't want them to see them you know, trade too much to try and fill the void. Because sometimes in situations like this, teams are like, well, we still want to go for it. We feel like we have a chance, and they might over-aggressively trade for someone who might not work out in the long run. If I'm the Pacers, it sucks what happened to Depot, I say, hey, try as hard as you can to get as far as you can this year with the team that you have. You get Oladipo back next year healthy and ready to go, and you make the same kind of push. But I don't want the Pacers to go out there and make a crazy trade to try and, you know, make up for the injury of Oladipo. This is a situation where the Pacers should just stand put.
1: And last time it comes to the NBA, Marcus Gasol Michael Conley both are on like, the trade block As Memphis is playing Denver right now. Uh, for the Knits, Tanner has barely played the last few games. Uh, and he's come out with saying either play me or trade me. Uh, wasn't playing tonight in their loss. Uh, part of that's probably because the Knicks are trying to lose. On top of that, they're trying to go for more of a future, and Tanner's not part of it. Do you see any of these three players getting dealt, or what player, what team should be looking to go after any one of these players? Your thoughts on that aspect?
0: You know, I think it's more likely that Marcus Gasol gets traded because I think he does have an expiring contract this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a lot harder than people think. Uh, for the Grizzlies to try and trade Mike Conley. Still owed some money on that contract. Um, and I feel like there's plenty of Eastern Conference teams that could still go out there for Marc Gasol. Um, I can't give you one, sadly, because I think a couple of them need <laughs> uh, need the center. Um, but, you know, wouldn't it be cool if the Milwaukee Bucks made a run from Marcusall Gasol to add some firepower to really make a push um, uh, for the Eastern Conference to really secure that and try and take it away from Boston? Um, so I think that will be pretty cool. Uh, the thing with Cantor, it's going to get interesting. I think the Knicks will eventually trade him because, you know, if he's going to keep complaining, they, they're not going to want that distraction. Of course, he's also a distraction for the team with what's going on with the Turkish government and those issues and whatnot. But however, I think that could also be a reason why teams don't want him because you don't know what's going on with that issue, which is a whole separate issue entirely. Um, but also Cantor, you know, he's not one of the top centers in the game right now. So there's just not a lot of appeal to him. So I think out of those three, um, I think Gasol is more likely to be traded, but I could see Cantor getting picked up by a team too. But if you're in the Knicks and if you're Knicks fans, don't expect, you know, much to come from a trade for Cantor. You're not going to get a lot in return.
1: So for Gasol, uh, as far as his contract goes, he has a player option next season. Uh, Cantor's a free agent after this season. And Tondley has... Uh, one more year on his contract after this and then a player option possibility depending on games played and such. Uh, but you know, I looked at some of the rosters and I'm trying to figure out who could use a center, uh, especially teams that are going for it. I think that's a little bit more of the challenge as well. And as far as I'm looking at it, there aren't too many teams that really... Stand out to me, but I would love to see like San Antonio make one more push and try. They they're a team that's rarely doing a midseason trade, but I think they could use another center aspect. As much as I like, you know, the team that they have and you know Aldridge as you know a center power forward. I think if you move him down to more of a power forward role, I just saw who's already one of the centers on the team, but you know, can be more of a bat seat and put the two brothers together, either Dusol and Dusol. I, I think that would be a good fit for them. But that—that's one team I'm kind of looking at it to see if they do anything to Spurs because if they want to go far in the playoffs, or if they want—I think even if they want to make it on the playoffs on top of that, they're going to have to put a little bit of a push to it. And I think that could be a good spot for them. And you know, for the MLB. We saw the Hall of Fame uh, election. We had spoken out on an earlier podcast. Getting into the Hall of Fame, Mariano Rivera, Doc Holliday, Roy Alliday, uh Mike Messina, and Edgar Martinez. Uh, so first question, uh, Mike Messina, 100%. Uh, well deserved that he got in unanimously. Uh, surprising that it's the relief pitcher that's the first one, uh, but... You know, Did you want to see him go 100% or did you not? or like, what, What's your thoughts on the first you mean, part of that? You mean Mariano Rivera. Man, what am I saying? You said Mike Messina. Oh, man, it's been a long night. Mike Messina got, uh, I think, what, 85%? Something like him? that.
0: Um, but to answer your question, yes, Mariano deserves to be unanimous. Um, I don't know if he should be the first person to unanimous. I'm a little biased. I am a big fan of Ken Griffey. Um, so I think Ken Griffey definitely should have been unanimous as well, but I'm not complaining that Mariano's the first one. Um, am I surprised that he's the first one? Yeah, because I thought Ken Griffey would have gotten it last year. Uh, but well deserved, best relief pitcher ever, in my opinion, to Mariano Rivera. And I'm glad that some of the writers changed their mind. You know, we heard some writers saying, "Well, I don't think I'm going to vote for him." So I'm glad some people changed their mind because it's the right thing to do. You know, don't don't be a moron. Mariano's a Hall of Famer. He's the best closer in the game. Saves are a relevant stat, in my opinion. The guy did this with one pitch his entire career. I think Derek Jeter said it best. Everybody in the stadium knew what pitch was coming, and it didn't matter. Hitters still didn't hit the ball. Um, so well-deserved by Mariano. Definitely should be unanimous. Um, and it doesn't bother me. He's the first unanimous.
1: Yeah, it's uh, uh, Again, 100%. It's a little surprising that it goes through relief pitch when you consider the list of players of possibilities, but, uh, no argument. It, it's hard to, <laughs> obviously, everyone else agreed. It, how are you not going to put Rivera uh, on your list at the end of the day? Uh, no, my big issue that stood out, Todd Helton. Absolutely no love. On top of that, one Pierre, no love, but Todd Helton, 16.5%, I think he got. I, I mean, Does that one stand out to you as much as to me?
0: Yeah. The fact that Todd Helton gets less than Manny Ramirez, honestly, it bothers me. Like, the fact that there's still 20, like, you know, I understand people don't want to vote for Bonds and Clemens because of their steroids, but I do think eventually they will get in, right? I understand why almost 60% of the people still want to vote for them. But for Manny Ramirez, who, like, cheated the game, like, 500 times to still get 20%, Can I have a conversation with the 20% that keep voting for him every single year? Meanwhile, a guy like Todd Helton played the game clean, class act, a great franchise first baseman, only gets 16.8 on his first try. That, to me, is really sad and disgusting.
1: Yeah, you know, when you compare it to, like, Larry Walker's numbers, his numbers are, at most points, better than Larry Walker. Or even when you... when I looked at it, and I compared Todd Helton's numbers to Larry Walker's, and then I also compared it to Edgar Martinez. Here's the shocker: Todd Helton has better numbers than Edgar Martinez in practically every category. I get it; like Edgar Martinez is like the the nerds' love. When it comes to baseball, and I think Todd Helton takes a lot of heat for the fact that he played in Colorado, but at the end of the day, the numbers speak for itself. Like Fred McGriff should have been in the Hall of Fame. The guy hit over four hundred ninety home runs. He he's just short of five hundred home runs. If he plays one more season, he's a Hall of Famer by hitting the five hundred number. But because he's just what seven short he's not a Hall of Famer and he may put it on the full 10 years Todd Helton's just as much as much as a Hall of Famer and the fact that he got so low is is mind-bottling to me so that that's a huge standout on that one that's just very surprising uh, we'll take two more questions when it comes to the baseball Derek Jeter's on the ballot this year Uh We've seen another 100 percenter.
0: You know, that's interesting. I feel like Derek Jeter has a lot of haters. Um, I think a lot of people will still say that, oh, he wasn't even the best Yankee during his time. So I honestly don't know. He gets my vote. I think he'll definitely get in a 90% range, but I don't know if Derek Jeter will be another unanimous.
1: I think it's tough not to vote for him, though.
0: No, I, I agree. I th- Obviously, he's a Hall of Famer, but I think there is enough people out there that... I don't know, like you always heard the rumblings. There was always people saying how they didn't think he was a hall. you know, they didn't think he was a, a, the best Yankee. A lot of people thought Jeter was overrated. Um, I think the writers might disagree. So I think it's possible that he's unanimous, but I mean he definitely gets my vote, but I could also see him getting like the Ken Griffey treatment where he misses it by, you know, two or three votes.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's important to note, like, a lot of the times the players that have missed I think have to deal with the fact that they were on a harder ballot where there were more voters and people that had not been covering baseball for years on end and others that just took a stand that had said, no matter what, I'm not voting for someone on their first year. And I think more people on those previous ballots were hard-pressed on that and just did not care if they pissed how many people off. I think it's much easier for a play, uh, for a player now to get into the Hall of Fame with a smaller ballot because you don't need less votes to get in. And I think it's easier to get the 100% mark. For 20 years, this guy was the face of baseball. The face of the MLB. And I think the only reason Derek Cheater might not get 100% is if there's any Miami Marlin covering uh, writers that have a vote and may not vote for him just because of the Marlins. <laughs> but as far as the baseball player goes and the stats, I think he's an easy 100%er, and I thought he would have been the first 100%er at that point. MLB also released the top 100 prospects. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. getting number one for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, The Padres seeing 10 total players in the top 100. The Braves, first time in their uh, last three years, they're not with the most players in the top 100. Uh, Your biggest standout from the top 100 takeaway off the list? Uh, I mean, how many San Diego Padres are on the freaking list, man? (laughs) 10% of the entire list is San Diego Padres.
0: But you know, good for them though. I feel like the Padres are a team that, you know, they really struggle to put together some solid talent on the field. And you know, I think a lot of teams have tried to build themselves up through the draft when there's no hope in sight. And I think the Padres have done that. I think the Padres have done a good job of stockpiling on talent. But guess what? Now it's time to hit on them. And even if the Padres can successfully produce five out of those ten guys that are on that list, that's a win for me if you're San Diego. Um, also. What stands out to me and what makes us feel pretty old, Nick, is that they MLB created a timeline about when these guys were born. Twenty-eight of the top 100 prospects were born in 1997. One of them was born in the year 2000, and one was born in 2001. So that might feel a little, you know, I, I felt my bones cracking in my body when I read that. But we officially have someone that was born, two people who were born after the year 2000 on the top 100 prospect list.
1: Uh, it's it's interesting looking at a lot of the. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm avoiding that entire last moment. I just want to point that one out there. Um, I feel old enough as it is that that didn't help. Um, I had to. I had to though. Yeah, I'm sure you did. The smile on your face while you said it. Um, you know, one of the bits standouts to me is as much as you know, the Padres uh key pieces. Uh, they're one of only two, two teams that have three prospects in the top 25. The Padres technically have four in the top 26. Uh, the White Sox are the other one with three in the top 25. I, obviously, the Padres, this is a big moment for them. And, you know, the, uh, we heard them having talks with Manny Machado. After seeing this list, I think every San Diego Padre fan has to be saying, you know, why did we sign Eric Hosmer at this point? We have 10 top 100 prospects, a few of them on this list. When it shows the year of possibility, there's five players on this list that are showing as 2019, it, expecting them to be up for including the catcher, including Fernando Tatis Jr., who's shortstop, second-ranked on this, including another infielder. I get it. Maybe you don't want to add the shortstop because you're taking away Fernando Tatis Jr.'s role, but you can put a little bit of extra money like you paid in Eric Hosmer and add a third baseman that you need. Make the extra move, San Diego. You have a ton of core players coming up in the future. You don't have to trade them away. You can put some money into the team to invest. So I think that's what stands out to me is, you know, the pot... We, We've heard the Phillies been talked about the White Sox. We've heard a lot about them between Bryce Harper and Manny Machado because of all the prospects they have coming up and the extra money they'll have. The Padres should be just as active as of right now. Jose, you were gonna say something on that, or
0: uh, I mean, no, I mean, I think I think you're right. I think the Padres need to capitalize, you know, on uh, opportunity like this. I mean, when you have this many guys that are almost MLB ready. Um, you got to make the right moves now. Would be the time to spend, not back then when they wanted to just grab every name they could.
1: So, with that, I think we're coming to the end of our podcast 38. And with it, I'm just going to give a few uh beard bats for this podcast. So, we'll start with in hockey 1984. Ooh, and hockey, yes, hockey. I was talking about this, uh about wayne dretzky earlier this week uh, and just how much you know when you consider the dote conversation uh we talked about it in football a little bit more often and we talked about in base uh in, in basketball when it compared to like lebron james michael jordan tom brady And Joe Montana. But in in hockey, we don't talk about it. It's Wayne Dretzky. And in baseball, it's Babe Ruth at the end of the day. But uh, 1984, Edmondson Center, Wayne Dretzky, the NHL record point scoring streak ended at 51 games against the LA Chains. 51 straight games of a point scoring streak in the NHL. That is just insane of a record. Just. Wayne Gratitude just by far blew out everybody else in the NHL. Uh, in 1990, uh, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl 55-10. to Joe Montana would win the MVP. And in 2001, I know you're not going to love this one, Jose, as a Giants fan, but the Baltimore Ravens beat the New York Giants 34-7. to The MVP of that game would be Ray Lewis. Who's also in the Hall of Fame. So those are our three beard bats of the w- and our dude of the week. We're gonna give it to yesterday's game for the Dallas Mavericks, and you know, just I'm always I'm always a triple triple double kind of guy, uh, but. You know, when you're a teenager, that stands out a little bit more. And when you have a 30-point-plus 30 game, 35 points, 12 rebounds, 10 assists. You know, I, I'm a stats guy. I'm going to always enjoy those type of games, especially for a fantasy sports guy. Uh, Dallas didn't get the win, though. He still didn't get the dude of the week as Luke Adonan. And But who is our dunce of the week?
0: Our dunce of the week is whoever, whoever was involved <laughs> with Demarcus Cousins, Demarcus Cousins going to the Warriors. I mean, since he's been back, he yes, he's been on a minutes restriction, but boy, does Demarcus Cousins look good. Um, he's healthy and he's proving that he can be a team player. And you know what? You know, I got I gotta say sorry to Demarcus Cousins too, because on a lot of radio shows back when we did the Talking Beard Show, Nick, I was one of those guys that said I wouldn't take a chance on Cousins because you know he has a bad attitude sometimes. But you know, he's playing pretty selfless basketball right now with the Warriors, where he has to show the basketball with four other stars, and they look really good. And if DeMarcus Cousins can keep playing the way he is now, good luck trying to stop the Warriors. I know there's a lot of better teams now in the Western Conference, but good luck. And, you know, shame on anybody who was involved with, you know, not wanting to sign him or anything like that. They basically contributed to DeMarcus Cousins going to the Warriors because we have a serious problem on our hand in terms of this year alone with this team.
1: And with that, we're coming to the end of podcast episode 38 of Sarasso and the Beard. And, Jose, any final thoughts for our podcast before the Super Bowl?
0: Uh, you know, stupid refs. Um, let's see. <laughs> stupid refs, stupid pelicans. Um, everybody have a good one. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Feels good to be able to say Super Bowl, doesn't it, Nick? Inside joke um, oh, for yes. those of you who don't, who don't understand. Um You know, again, I predict the pass, so do you. Um, Should be a very interesting matchup, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to say after it's over and we record our next
1: episode. Uh, Final thoughts for me. You know, there have been a ton of interesting prop bets when it comes to the Super Bowl. Like what color the Gatorade will be, that's dumped on the coach. Um, But I think the one that stands out the most for me is James Harden's total points or Londis touchdown play. Uh, where James Harden's playing against the Utah Jazz on Sunday, uh, th- that to me I think is the coolest prop bet I've ever heard of. Uh, so, it, I know most people are gonna love the James Harden pick, and so do I. Even if Chris Paul's coming back, so if you find a way to ha- have that prop bet, I mean, you get to enjoy two sports on this on just one bet. You can't beat that at the end of the day uh, for fun prop bets. But what side of that would you take, Jose?
0: For which one again?
1: Uh, James Harden's total points, or the longest touchdown play of the Super Bowl?
0: In terms of what's going to happen?
1: Yeah, you can choose one of the uh, one. Uh, you're betting on like one of the two to be more of. Mm. So it's like if Harden has 37, but the uh, the touchdown pass went for 42 yards, the touchdown play one mm. doesn't have to be I'm a gonna, pass. Could be special teams at the end.
0: I'm going to go with the touchdown.
1: I was going to, I'm was i knowing James Harden just the way he's playing. Really? Hell yeah.
0: Okay. I just feel like there's so many dynamic players on both sides of the ball that it's just it's too obvious for one of these players to go deep for a pass or Gurley to go deep for a run.
1: It's going to be an exciting Super Bowl at the end of the day. Like you said, we both have the Patriots winning. And everybody, enjoy the Super Bowl. And thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 38. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. Enjoy the Super Bowl. And thank you for listening to the podcast.
0: So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know, being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us with whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type two collagen. Make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day.
1: El nuevo Crispy Chicken Sandwich de McDonald's es. Corriente, tiernito, hojoso. Oh. Es pollo en McDonald's. Un mordisco y. Wow. Es el nuevo Crispy Chicken Sandwich. Ordena por anticipado in el lab de McDonald's. En McDonald's,
0: participantes.